created live on Fireside. Cookery by the book, unplugged, created live on Fireside. Tonight, she's a rare female pitmaster. Co-owner, Burnt Finger Barbecue, named one of the most influential women in barbecue. She's won TV cooking shows and designed award-winning barbecue meats and products now found on shelves around the world. Megan Day is my guest on Cookery by the Book Unplugged, live from New York City. Welcome, Megan. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Hi, everybody. Hi, Susie. It's so good to be here. Hi, I'm so excited to talk to you. So to everyone in the live audience, feel free to hit the hamburger in the left-hand corner and broadcast this chat to the world. And we'll take some questions for the last 15 minutes of the hour. And in the meantime, you can hit the emoji in the lower right-hand corner and write something in the chat there. So, Megan, I went to Merriam-Webster online to look up Hitmaster, fully thinking I would just find a large photo of a dude. And there was no photo, thankfully. But I was surprised to read that the first known use of the word pitmaster was in 1984. And that kind of blew my mind. Wow. You know, the Kansas City Barbecue Society is right now celebrating their 35th anniversary. And the Kansas City Barbecue Society is a group of competitive pitmasters that have rules that they follow. So I don't know, where does that timeline kind of kind of fit that, I guess, from the 80s and, and what the pitmaster terminology, that kind of makes sense. So how many women are in the pitmaster space in barbecue? I honestly have no idea because so many women are really behind the scenes. And I don't mean that from the standpoint that they're just relegated to washing the dishes behind the scenes, but really they just have not had opportunities to be in the media and, and had taken the chance to be in front of the camera so that people could see them. So, but I do believe there's a lot of women. They're just not maybe quite as vocal and, and visual, if that makes sense. So you left the corporate world to dive headfirst into the barbecue business. How did that come about? You know, it it really was honestly, because of what a great base that my husband, Jason, had started with competition barbecue and starting a business in barbecue where we were shipping meats, dry ice cooler to people. And we were also creating sauces and seasonings. And it was one day I I was on the second child full time. And I saw a quote that said, in order to change the outcome, you have to change the investment. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, oh my gosh, if we're really going to take this barbecue business to the next level, the one thing that is missing is a dedicated person to do it. We are stretched so thin between his corporate gig, my corporate gig, and now two kids. I traded in those high heels for hairnets and tours (laughs) of meat factories, and I have not looked back. So did you do it out of necessity or did you do it because you loved it? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I knew that there was an opportunity to really take the business forward. And I always, I said this, I said, I want to be Jason's right hand. I want to make sure that he can be successful in what he does. And, and I was enjoying it myself, but what I was not prepared for was once I kind of started taking that step out and visiting all the people that we were working with and visiting with the manufacturers, they were all very intrigued by the fact that they were getting a visit from a woman. 
that mostly they dealt with the guys. And so I used that to my advantage. I was getting meetings with people that Jason could never have gotten a meeting with. Really? And so, yeah. So there was really something to the fact that I could sit down with someone and if they couldn't help me, they'd open their Rolodex and say, well, you need to go talk to this person. And it was just a very, I don't know, I guess motherly in a way. It was just a, I was out trying to build those relationships. And I think they felt very comfortable with, we want to see you be successful. And that was something that I saw that when now here's a woman out there doing these things and the media followed, I didn't think anything of it, but they were just mesmerized by the fact that here was a female pit master doing some, some great things. And so I just kind of had to run with it. So it was passion, but it kind of was because those doors started opening up. So my great-grandfather had a big ranch in Colorado with wheat and Hereford cows. And I remember going to the American Royal in Kansas City with him in the 70s to show his cattle in the stockyards. Yeah. When did you start competing at the Royal? So we started competing at the American Royal, which is the World Series of Barbecue. Let's say it would have been 2008 is, was our very first. And if you can believe this, it was the second contest that we had ever competed in. And our brisket took fifth place out of over 500 teams. And we said, wow. uh-oh, <laughs> this is going to be a really <laughs> expensive hobby. This is so fun. And we were hooked right then and there. You know, the American Royal is the largest barbecue contest in the world. So getting fifth place for your first time out of the gate is huge. Yeah, it was, it was really, um, we actually had stopped listening because all the awards were going by and we weren't getting anything. And the guys behind us were like tapping us on the shoulder, like, aren't you burnt finger barbecue? They just called your name. And I mean, you would have thought that we had just won the lottery. We were so excited. So since founding in 2008, you have racked up countless awards. Can you name a few of your favorites? Sure. So probably the biggest, like first big, big win was it was a perfect score. That means every single judge said we had a perfect chicken score and it was at the American Royal and it was first place with this very large trophy. We were the chicken champions of the world. And that was, that was really exciting to, to be able to get that. And then a few years ago in 2018, we decided to try our hand at the Memphis in May, which is a completely different type of barbecue contest. So when we won the chicken, that's what they called blind judging. So we hand the chicken into the judges and they blindly, they don't know who we are. They don't know the team name. They say, this is the best chicken. And then they through a, a series of, okay, number switches, they figure out which team that was that turned in that chicken. And then they award that team the prize. In Memphis in May, it is all pork that's the only thing that you're doing and the judges come to you and you have to present how you made those ribs and what you did and all the 
pomp and circumstance that goes along with just kind of woo a judge. And we took second place with our ribs um, the very first time we'd ever tried that type of a contest. Oh, and we, my God. Yeah, like crazy amazing. And then this last year, we didn't really get to compete because of the pandemic, but we could turn our sauces and our seasonings in for them to be judged. And I just still can't believe this happened, but our sauce took first place out of, I think, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of sauce entries that there were. And then our rub took first place as well. So our sauce and our rub both won the American Royal first place um, trophies in their categories this last year. So those have been some pretty big ones. We've done a lot of really fun and memorable things along the way. But when you're able to really go to the world stage and pull off some big trophies and big wins, that's that says a lot. And, and to span that many years, you know, for a, over a decade to be able to continue to perform at that level is pretty, pretty special and something that we strive for all the time. Your sauce and your rubbed were named best on the planet. Yes. It's crazy. And, and to say that but like in each category, we could not believe it. It was such a dream come true. Sauces can win and seasonings can win, but to literally be a, they are a brother and sister. So what I mean by that is those sauce and seasonings were made to be used together and to be blindly judged against hundreds and hundreds of other seasonings and then hundreds and hundreds of other sauce for both of them to land as the best on the planet is was pretty quite a feat. So I know coming from I'm from Kansas City too. We're both from Kansas City. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! There's an idea that there's like the old old Kansas City barbecue folks and the new round of kids. Did you get any kind of um, attitude when you started winning? Like where did they come from? Who are they to win all this? What have they yeah. done? You know, a little bit. I have to be honest with you. We kind of still come from the old school. And and here's how I define it. I'm sure there's other people that have other definitions, but there were no classes. When we started t learning, you learned on the spot at your, you know, competition. You didn't know really what the judges were wanting. And kind of the new school, I like to say, are the people who are able to go out and take a class from a champion and learn right out the gate what three or four things they need to do to really increase their scores and come out winning. And so while we were new to the competition um, world and getting some big wins right out, right out of the gate, we were still doing it kind of the old fashioned way. We, we were figuring things out on our own. And so I remember that, that very first barbecue contest at the American Royal, there was a really wonderful man um, named Rodney who kind of took us under his wing and he'd been doing it for a lot of years. And, and we watched him go on stage and collect a first place trophy. And he was always the one who said, I will answer the question, but you have to know what question to ask. And that is really the culture. If you if you have questions, there are people there that will answer them for you. Um, but you got to know what question to ask. And so I think maybe sometimes we see those old timers feel like they didn't have to ask those questions because now they can just go pay a bunch of money and get the answers. <laughs> 
Wow. I'd love to know your recipe development process. Like with this um, sauce that you just won first place for and your rub, did you know what kind of rub you were going to go for before even starting the testing process of the recipes? And frankly, I kind of thought like every iteration of a rub or barbecue sauce had been done. So yeah. how do you make it new and different? Well, you know, we, we went really traditional. I will say that we wanted people who try our sauce and seasoning to taste it and say, wow, that's Kansas City. That's a Kansas City sauce. And typically when you hear Kansas City profile, um, especially like let's just say with the rub, and we like a little bit of celery seed in our rub in Kansas City. That's a kind of a prominent flavor that you'll see throughout. And we like color. So you know there's going to be paprika. But then we wanted to stick with pretty traditional, those uh, garlic and onion. But the key to all of it is we like a little bit of heat because we want you to feel it working. And <laughs> what kind of heat is important, right? If it's hitting up front or if it's kind of a linger or a build. And then it's got to have a sweetness to it. There has to be a balance. And so I think that's where a lot of times... You know, those, I think we went through nine rounds before we finally got the seasoning correct and exactly how we wanted it to hit on the palate, because it's not just what you're eating it on, but it's also how it cooks down. And so there's a lot of trial and error um, that go into that. But we knew we wanted a very traditional, very balanced, nothing of nothing offensive, but something that just really tastes delicious because good food is good food and you eat with your eyes. So it's got to look good. It's got to have a good color. When it comes to sauce, we wanted someone to be like, that's the most Kansas City sauce I've ever eaten. We wanted it a little smoky. We wanted it to be the right consistency so that you could dredge a French fry through it, right? Because that's, you know, a good yeah. chicken nugget. Or you could baste it over your ribs and it makes a nice glaze. So the consistency was really important to us. And then the other thing, it's the same type of principle where it's got to have that balance of, of sweet smoky, and maybe just a little hint of something working there. We didn't necessarily want it to be hot because we knew eventually we wanted to come out with a spicier version of that sauce. And so we did that. And with the rub, we knew eventually we wanted to come out with a bacon version of that rub. So it's the platform for a bacon version um, as well. So it, it's they all work together. And we have another one that's going to come out. Um, we're working on it. It'll take a little while, but we actually won a um, trophy at Memphis in May the last time we were able to do it um, before the pandemic. And it is more of a mustard-based barbecue sauce, but there's some Kansas City kick to it. So, you know, people like people who like a good mustard sauce. We want them to be satisfied, but we still want them to know that it came from a Kansas City team. So I've heard you say you're living the barbecue dream. <laughs> what does that mean? I think it's a lifestyle. And, and that goes to the, the point of business. We knew we had products that were fantastic, but we're not going to be a big, huge barbecue restaurant conglomerate, big, huge you know, company that's going to have all these different products. We wanted to make really good, solid products, just a few at a time. 
And in order to do that, you really have to live the lifestyle. You've got to be out there competing and learning what's going on. You have to talk to backyard people who are, are cooking and figure out how, how they want to cook and what they want to cook with. And in order to do that, you have to kind of live that lifestyle. And so I say it's a dream because I literally wake up and I'm looking at what trends are happening. I want to see what people are cooking. And then I'm thinking, can I do that on the pit? Can I do that over the grill? Is that something that I could do and add that twist to it? So that's what I mean by the dream is that I'm immersed in it and having so much fun with it. I guess I'm not really working. I'm just really living that lifestyle. I love that. And you can be home with your kids. And I can be home with my kids. And that's just really, I mean, that is what this is family first and family being able to enjoy and love what we do means so much because there will be a point in time when the kids are kind of, I'm sure like another barbecue contest. But right now they're like, do I get to cook this time? Cause sometimes they have kids queue where the kids get to cook a pork chop or a steak or something, a hamburger and watching them I, I want to cry just thinking about how awesome it is to see them have that passion. And so I'm just going to embrace it right now. I know you're a big advocate of kids learning how to cook with fire. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of times it's, it's the sharp and the, and that you have to worry about and the heat that you have to worry about. So that's always been a very big rule for us is we wanted the kids to be very comfortable around those, but really understand the dangers of them. And so we never wanted them to be scared. And I think that was really, really critical of just making sure that they were a part of the process all the time and would get close and will just give kids a chance to learn it the right way so that there's not a fear, but a respect. And so being able to see kids, um, we, from day one, even when Jason and I, before we had kiddos, we would invite neighborhood children or friends who had kids to come be honorary members of our team in order to compete in kids queue. And so we have an entire group of barbecue, burnt finger barbecue alumni that are out there that get to go compete. And if we can help them along the way, that is really cool. And and some of them have gone on to do some, some culinary work. And so it's really rewarding to see that. So your husband, Jason, developed the signature recipe called the bacon explosion. Boom. He did it. By (laughs) the way, the New York Times called it the most downloaded recipe in the history of the internet. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Back in 2008. Okay. Right. So we had just won fifth place at the American Royal. We thought we were just going to burn up the world, but we knew that it was going to be an expensive hobby. So the guys decided to create a blog just to kind of do recipe development and try to get some affiliate money during the off season so that we could pay for these contests that we knew we were going to go do. And so um, they were like, okay, we need to come up with some recipes. And this was 2000. 2008, Twitter was kind of becoming a little bit more of a thing, but a lot of, you know, I'm going to say guys who understood SEO and, and all of that were really pretty heavy into the Twitter air um, sphere. And someone had tweeted out, hey, ha- hey guys, how would you barbecue bacon? And so Jason went to the grocery store and at the time bacon was buy one, get one free. He bought two pounds of bacon, got it home and said, I've got to use all of this bacon into one recipe. So he started by 
weaving bacon over under in a lattice blanket. So it was this beautiful outside layer. And then he still had about another pound of bacon left. So he fried it up into these crumbles and then rolled it into a chub of sausage. So it was pork on pork on pork. Okay. Right. (laughs) So you had those crunchy bits with that beautiful sausage. And then he wrapped it in that blanket of, of woven bacon. So it was not only an art project, it was a culinary masterpiece (laughs) that we throw on the smoker and and we started taking pictures. We put it up on a blog post and it went viral and went crazy. People were downloading it, were asking questions, were sending us posts about what they had done and how they had made it. And it just really ignited this passion for people to get outside and really cook and try a new recipe. And that's when the New York Times sent us a message and said, we don't know who you are or what's going on, but your recipe is appearing everywhere. And we would like to do a story on that. And so they sent a photographer out to the house and nine color photos on the front page of the food and wine section of the New York Times, a couple of days before the Super Bowl in 2009. And that just, it went nuts. Everybody was making it for their Super Bowl party. And we went on a media tour and Jason, um, ended up getting a cookbook deal out of it. And it just, the rest is history. So that was a real pivotal moment. Oh, it was the moment. We talk about the house that we have as the house that Bacon built. (laughs) (laughs) I love this part of your story. In 2017, you were invited to compete on the Food Network's Chopped Grilled Masters, which pitted barbecue cooks against restaurant chefs. Tell us about that. Yeah. So that would be one of those moments when all of a sudden, you know, I I had mentioned that the media picked up on the fact that I also cooked and that I was asked to talk with a producer. And at first I really took that phone call as they were wanting me to tell them about my husband, Jason, because you know, that he, he was the head pit master. And she's like, no, 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 you, I want to talk to you about competing. And so I said, well, yeah, I can do that. This is, this is PR. I could go on a show and cook. And so I did. And it was such a great experience. I was up against um, three other pitmasters. I won my episode, became a chopped champion. And since then have gone on to compete in some the grand finale and another round of chopped and several other shows just based off of the performance that I did. I mean, I get to call myself a chopped champion. So every now and then they'll bring me back for, you know, another round. So it's a lot of fun. And and it was a chance for me to step away and really compete on my own. And it's kind of ignited something in me that I, I knew I was competitive and I knew I wanted to do it, but this took it to a next, the next level. What did it feel like when they said, whose dish is on the chopping block? <laughs> you know, I've been on both sides of that. So I've been the one that wins and prevails and, and is awestruck. And I've been the one where they've pulled it and said, Megan, you've been chopped. So I've been on both sides of it. And, you know, when I won, I I really was overtaken with just pride and a little bit of bewilderment. Like what just happened? Because if you're familiar with the format of Chopped, you only have 30 minutes and it is genuinely, you only have 30 minutes. 
um, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on which are you doing the appetizer, the entree or the dessert. And so I had just won all, you know, these couple of different things. And then here we are in the dessert round against just an amazing competitor. And, and I pulled it off and I did it. And so that was pretty, pretty exciting. When I didn't win, it was really disappointing to see that, you know, what I thought I had put out that was a good, just wasn't good enough. And it, it's, it's a humbling experience, but super exciting. Did you feel like you were letting Kansas City down? Never. I would. No way. <laughs> I Never. Like, oh my gosh, the whole city's watching. Yeah. No. And I think, I mean, really, because you never know. Is it is it something that you didn't do or did you not do it well enough? Or was it just not, did it not fit what the judge's expectations were? I mean, to be really honest, when I lost in the finale, uh, it, there a guy did a like a tartar in a grilling contest what? and and they thought that was good. So it's, and I did a chorizo venison burger and they said I didn't, they wanted me to have like French fries or something with it. But it was like my water wasn't boiling because I wanted to do potatoes and maybe they picked up on that. I don't know. You never know what it is that they're going to pick up on. You cannot give them a reason to chop you. And that's the reality. And so I maybe didn't have enough. And it's like, ah, that stinks. But I still felt like, okay, they didn't say my burger was terrible. So (laughs) anyway, it is. It is a plus. It is a plus. It's like, you know, when you go down in dessert and when you're in a, a meat contest, it's like, dang it, <laughs> something <laughs> happened. So it, it, but I never felt like I let anyone down because just to get in on those shows is, I mean, it is a, a tough process. And you have to think about the hundreds and, and maybe even thousands of chefs and pitmasters that would love to be in that situation. So for the producers to find something in me that they wanted to broadcast and to give me that chance to have fun is an honor in itself. And I think, you know, uh, as long as you prof- you're professional and I don't think Kansas City would be let down. So what's more stressful, competing on a national television show like Chopped or competing at the American Royal? That's a great question. It's just completely different because when you do something like the American Royal, it is the same recipes that we have been working on for decades, right? Like we have been, it is about execution and Jason and I are such, we do a dance. We work together to make everything happen. So if I'm in the middle of something and, and all of a sudden an alarm goes off that, that our meat has come to temp. Someone has, you know, he's got to drop everything and go get that meat out of the, out of the smoker or vice versa. It's, we have a system and we know exactly what to do when you're doing something for TV and they're giving you a crazy timeline and you've got to try to get something done. It's a different kind of stress because it's really out of your control. Um, and I, I think probably the American Royal is is more stressful because you know and, and you know what to expect and if things don't go right um you have to be able to overcome those when you're in a live television situation or filming with them I mean you just have to go with the flow it's a different kind of stress I yeah it's just different I, you're you're at the elements at that point you're maybe somebody else trips 
trips you or what, I don't know, whatever it is, you, you have a lot of things that are out of your control when it's live TV like that. Now you just talked about temperature with meat. Are we supposed to focus on the time, how long the meat's been in or are we, or is it done when the temperature gets to a certain point? I never know. Yeah, for for what we do in a low and slow process, it really is when the when the meat decides to give up, and at that point you have a have a temperature and a feel. So it's a little a little of neither. You know, approximately the amount of time that the meat is going to take. Like I know when I do my burnt ends, I need to give myself probably a six to nine hour window that those are going to get done. Um, and you by kind of have a, a feel and a temperature that you're shooting for. But you have to remember every single piece of meat is different. It's a muscle that was used. Was it a lazy cow or was it a cow that was walking all the time and those muscles are, are more worked? I mean, that's the reality that you're in when you're dealing with these types of proteins is you have to listen to what that meat does. And when it gives up and all of those beautiful intermuscular fat starts to render and some of those tight muscles just give up. That's why those tough kinds of meats really do so well and become these beautiful pieces of meat because of that process. Now, you can get some of that with the hot and fast methods. I'm not as comfortable with that. That's not something that I've played with. I really do kind of stick to more the traditional low and slow. What traditionally was the charry edges of the outside of brisket, burnt ends, yes. we call them, they got their start at Arthur Bryant's in Kansas City. They did. And um, so what's, do you know their story and how do you yeah. make burnt ends? Because there's nothing better than a burnt end sandwich. Yeah. And so I can smell my, my, in the air, I just finished doing a big burnt end cook. And so that's, this is perfect. So Arthur Bryant's is a very well-known historic restaurant in the Kansas City metro area. And they used to take the charry bits off of the beef. Um, in this case, it was a brisket. And they would throw those pieces up on the counter while people would wait. And people would nibble on them. And then all of a sudden, people started saying, hey, can I buy those? So I would say that they were probably the very first to commercially sell <laughs> those charry bits. And Kansas City has perfected a way to recreate those morsels by taking the fatty point of a brisket and cooking them to a little bit different texture than they do a flat. A flat is the, the part that you typically see for sliced brisket. And that point meat is traditionally in Kansas City cubed up and served sometimes pillowy, sometimes a little harder. It just, everybody has their own style. And some people like them sauced, some don't want anything on them. So it's really, it becomes a style within the Pitmaster pit family. I personally like a little more um, uh, just basic drier rub, and then I allow people to sauce them if they want to. I don't necessarily sauce them right up. Um, and that's the way I do them is I will cook them for, like I said, usually a six to six, seven hours and then rest maybe an hour or two. And they will be chopped up into beautiful cubes that then I 
We'll put on a sandwich. I put on a baked potato. One of my favorite ways to use it is in fried rice. It is what? just a mad oh my yes. gosh. Burnt in fried rice. <laughs> it's the egg and the rice and some vegetables with it, but that little crunch of... But what's fascinating is the, the point end of the brisket is fattier. There's a lot more. So I pull the fat off of it, off the top, and let the inside fat really be what renders down into... People call them little mad magical marshmallows of, of meat. Um, think of the texture maybe it was of even like a, a filet, the difference between like a sirloin and a filet mignon. Um, your filet mignon is going to have a better texture, a softer texture. I typically think of burn-ins as being a little more like that. But again, some people will put sauce all over them, throw them back in the smoker and get them super charred. And so it really just kind of depends on the preference that you have. I know team names are a big thing in the professional barbecue world. How did you come up with the name Burnt Finger? So we used to just host people in our backyard, come over and eat with us. And we kept noticing that people would open up the pit and sneak bites of the meat. They didn't care if they would burn themselves while they were trying to get the first bite of our meat. And so when it came right down to picking our name, we were like, we're burnt finger barbecue because you don't care if you're going to get burned, you want that first bite. That's so cute. I love that. Now, did you Thank have to you. look around and see no one else had that? Yeah, I, I you do actually. Basically, <laughs> yeah. every name is taken. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, we had some people who were like, burnt finger, nobody wants nobody wants a burnt finger. And we're like, but we, we know that. Yeah, um, but yeah, duh. we know that. But if you know the story behind it, we're, we're burnt finger barbecue. How do you juggle everything? You know, you're a mom, you're doing competitions, product development, sales, classes, you're on the yeah. Today Show. For other moms out here who are juggling things, what's the key? You know, I have a very strong family unit and a a desire to leave, leave a legacy. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Every decision that I make is family oriented. How's it going to affect uh, my family? And I've gotten really good at saying no, and only doing the stuff that really get me excited. Um, kind of that when you when you think it's a yes, it's not a yes. Um, it's probably a no or maybe later. And so that's really how I have to juggle everything is just, you know, I look in my husband's eye and I say, I have something on Saturday. I got to be there at six o'clock in the morning for a media thing. Are you good? What do we need to get your mom involved? I mean, we just really try to hammer out how we're going to make the kids and him and my life easy and sometimes we just have to say no. And um, that's the only way. And I have a really amazing team of, of people that I work with that help us get our products on the shelves of places like Shields and Bass Pro and um, Cabela's and, and all of these great hardware stores, the Ace Hardware stores. So I've got a great team that's helping me with that. But I'm on the other side, making sure that I'm getting great media and awards and everything so that they have something to talk about. Um, so I don't have to do it all. And when it comes to doing product development, working with our team and saying, here's the flavors. And they know that we probably will go through multiple iterations before we say yes to something. This is not, this is not a quick skin it. We are in this for the long haul. I'd love to hear about your collaboration with Home Shopping Network. Yeah. Yeah. That dream. was another, yeah, it was a really amazing. So we, with that year that we went down and took second place in ribs at Memphis in May, 
And um, we had been talking with a, a group that had been working with us on a few other products. And they were so excited that we, a Kansas City team, had walked into Memphis and shown them, you know, show them what's up, that they came to us and said, we we want to, to work with you on getting some of your meat put on the home shopping network. Would you be interested in being kind of one of one of the only if, you know, just a, there's just a couple of us on that channel that sell barbecue meat and products. And they said, we want you to be one of those teams. Are you in? And of course, it was like dream. Yes, of course, because I think that's one of the things is we, when you get a chance to tell your story and explain to people how how they can use our pulled pork or our ribs, not just as a specialty item, but because it's a Tuesday night and you want something really good on your plate, right? And being able to tell that story. So I have the very fortune um, of when we would, we've, I'd fly down to St. Pete to their studios and I would be on air. But since COVID, I we do it out of my kitchen. And so because we're doing it out of my kitchen, I'm actually able to be on there quite a bit more because we don't have that, again, being away from my kids for two or three days in order to make that happen. I literally can set it up and they get to go watch um, YouTube while I'm, (laughs) while I'm doing it. (laughs) So they're thrilled. What are you selling on HSN now? Right now, um, wings, chicken wings, which if you've heard, there's like a a national wing shortage. So we feel very, very blessed to have a good stockpile. Were you part of that? Were you? (laughs) No, no. Did you make that? I did not. I mean, yes, I am so sorry about that. It was all our fault. No, but so I, buy them for me. Yeah, no, I think there's issues just in all supply chain. I think there's a glass shortage. I think there's, you know, getting workers to be able to parson out an actual, you know, the wing of the chicken, you know, that you can get, you got to have all the, the people and, and the supply chain and the drivers and everything. And so I think that unfortunately, that cut, I guess, right now is kind of having an issue, but we got it. We got wings. Uh, Our ribs are live right now and a pulled chicken, which is one of my favorites because I will turn that into um, chicken enchiladas. I turn it into chicken dip on salads. I heat it up and make chicken sandwiches. Kids love a chicken quesadilla. So that is in heavy rotation in our house for sure. Wait, what's chicken dip? Oh, you know, where you take like a buffalo chicken dip, where you take like different flavors and a little bit of cheese and yeah, and then you put your chicken in there and then you just get your corn chips and eat it like a a nice dip. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So good. Cream cheese. You got to have some cream cheese in there, right? So I rewatched the documentary you're in called Smoke and Ribbons. And I I encourage everyone to watch it because it's so real and interesting and it's a look, a behind the scenes look at barbecue competitions. What year was that? Yeah. So my daughter was three months old. I was still like super, you know, pregnancy weight. It was, it was awesome, but that was like 2015. (laughs) And at the time I was still kind of the one hand in the beer over to Jason and between helping clean up. Right. I was, I was definitely not a, a full on pit master mode at that point, but it was a really cool, reaction to what was happening live at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. There was a team that they were following that was um, a party team. And then there was us. And I'm, I call it extreme. At that time, I look back, it, it's a complete blur. It was extreme barbecue because it was 
I, I'm literally breastfeeding in between pulling chicken out of the smoker and going and and making sure the sauce and that the boxes because it's all about presentation and making sure that everything's ready to go. And then I've got a son who oh, scraped his knee and I've got to get a Band-Aid on him. And it's just really funny to, to think back to that time and know that all of that got documented. Um, and it's live streaming on Amazon Prime. You can um, watch Smoking Ribbons and it follows our team and this other team through various years of, you know, of, of winning and not winning and what it's really like to be in the trenches for, for barbecue. How far out from the competition do you have to start prepping? Like, is it weeks? Is it months? Yeah. So for like something like a big world championship, it's, it's several weeks out. You want to make sure that your proteins look the way you want them to be and that you have them because there's always a mad rush for product right, right before a contest. So you'll probably, you will want to go three weeks out or so before just to start sourcing some things or at least locking it in with your um, provider to make sure that your order's in. Um, but for a normal, just weekend, smaller contest, we start sourcing some of our meat on Tuesday, um, start trimming things up on Wednesday, making sauces and injections and anything that we're, you know, going to be doing, like if I'm going to be doing a dessert or something like that, sourcing all of that on Thursday. And then we leave on Friday and head out to the contest, compete on Saturday, get your awards, drive home, degrease on Sunday, take a break Monday and pick back up for sourcing on Tuesday. So when we were doing 20, 30 contests in a year, it was nonstop you know, um, sourcing. Where do you sleep? Yeah. So we have a, a pull behind travel trailer, um, that has a queen size bed and a couple pullout beds for the kids. So back in the day though, when we first started, it was a cot, um, with a pop-up tent in the middle of the street. I mean, that's where we would sleep because you know, you're, you're kind of, you're setting your pit. A lot of people will set their pit around 10, 10 PM or midnight. Um, and their meats start going on at one, two, three o'clock in the morning. And so there's not a lot of sleeping. It's more of kind of just, uh, where you rest for a couple of minutes. Once we started having kids, it became a little more important that we had space. And as Jason said, our daughter came out demanding better accommodations. So <laughs> we, we made sure we had that for them. For anyone in the audience, you can come up on stage if you have any barbecue questions. What are some summer barbecue trends or tips you have for us? Ooh, that's a really, that's a good question. Kind of some of the trends. So I... I'll tell you, people really were getting out and barbecuing in their backyard. There's no doubt that people were trying more things. So I see kind of your appetizers and um, happy hour style dips and um, little... I don't know, just little small bites. I, I really can see that that might be a little more popular. It's not just about what the big piece of meat that's going on, but really that how to use that live fire or charcoal to do a dessert or to do an appetizer. I think that's going to be, I think people got pretty comfortable cooking in the backyard over the pandemic. So I see that trend continuing. And I see people really getting in and enjoying um, what char and what those flavors can do for um, fruits and um, vegetables as well. Look who's on the stage. 
Hi, friend Luke. Hi, Luke. You can unmute and ask your question. Do you see how to unmute? Hello. Hello. I hear you. Hi. Hi, Megan. Hi, Susie. How are you guys? This is so fun. Thank you. It's like (laughs) it's like a TED talk with the audience, right? Absolutely. And I just wanted to say and tell everyone what a tremendous influence that you've been not only on uh, myself, but also on lots of people that I speak to throughout the barbecue world, uh, particularly female pit masters. I think it's something that uh, needs to be embraced. And I'm just really, really proud to call you a friend and very excited about all your success. Well, Luke, that's so kind of you. I, you know, I, I just had someone the other day say, I was sitting in front of you when Smoke and Ribbons was being um, filmed, and I remember thinking, who who are those people, and why is a camera following them? And then we stumbled across your documentary, and I'm actually in the background. And it was a female pitmaster, and it was so fun. I had no idea that that's who that was, but as soon as she made that connection, I knew exactly who she was. So there are a lot of us out there, but we just maybe haven't been out in front of the camera. So thank you, and I'm glad to hear that you're that, that you say such nice things. <laughs> fantastic. Keep up the great work. And Luke, how is your barbecue podcast going? It is going fantastic. We just recorded our 34th episode. Oh, um, that's cow. amazing. Yay. Yes. I had a very good mentor in, uh, in <laughs> Susie and the, the key has been consistency. We've only taken two weeks off since we started and it is really, we're really starting to gain a lot of traction. We're gaining around 500 downloads per month. Um, every month is a little bit better. So it's been a great, great experience and a lot of fun. So tell everyone what the name of it is. Oh, it's um, the, po- the podcast is called Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. And it's available on all of the places where you can find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. And we really try and dive into the habits and routines of uh, championship pitmasters from all around the world. Uh, Megan has been a guest on the show. It was one of my Megan and Jason both. It was one of my favorite episodes. I had no idea how nerdy Jason was. It was amazing. Oh gosh, didn't you find <laughs> out? I mean, we, we I did. Fireboard Fireboard is one of our um, our sponsors, and there, it is a thermometer that digital cloud and tracks what you're doing and where your temperatures are. And I mean, Jason, that is his world is data. So he gets deep, and he and Luke. I thought I was losing him for a little bit. I went glassy eyed. I was like, what are they talking about? But it's awesome. If you love that kind of data and, and stuff, that's that's the product for you. We have to do a second part of that just be, just to dive into that. So You should. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both so much. And I really enjoyed this. So I'll go ahead and remute. Thank you. And Juliet, welcome. Hi, this is so fun. I love um, everything barbecue. My husband is the barber. I, I do not do barbecue, but he does. And um, I just love uh, all that you're doing. So thank you for sharing all of this. I have a question um, about summer cocktails. Do you have any recommendations, anything fun that you're, you've are you come across? You know, that's a good question. Summer cocktails. Um, I think anything that you can take a citrus and put some char on it. Like I'm thinking 
I mean, like a salty dog with the grapefruit and putting some char on it. I think that would be a really fun way to, to zhuzh up a cocktail. I just got a hold of something called a um, Kansas City barbecue vodka. And I'm going to be making, it's not really summer, but it's a Bloody Mary. I'm going to be making a Bloody Mary version with this barbecue vodka. So that's going to be like when I'm in, early in the morning pulling weeds, having my, having my Bloody Mary. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Amazing. Thank Garnished with the burn in, I must say. <laughs> Juliet, what is your favorite thing your husband makes? So my husband, so it's it's actually funny and you, I'm, I'm probably going to be like, oh, people are going to say, so I am a pescatarian for no other reason. I did a detox many years ago uh, and I never craved meat again. So he does a really, really great fish taco, but I know we're talking about barbecue. So, um, but my kids, he actually makes the best uh, hamburger and it's been like in our area, like friends and family, they call it the Han burger because that's our last name because it is so so, so delicious. And it is literally, and that's where everyone's like, I can't believe you haven't like, craved one of those. And I'm like, it's funny. I, you know, I have not, but it is, it probably would be the thing that I would go back to because there's no other reason why I'm just not craving it. It's not for any other reason that I've given it up, but it is absolutely delicious. It is, it is amazing. Now I want one. <laughs> have you ever had a grilled romaine salad? No. Very good. Yeah. It's really so good. Oh, I'm gonna have to have, have it, him do that. It really, it's the char, especially if you can really master where you still have some crunch in the vegetable, but that it gives it that extra flavor. You know, if you take it too far, you know, when the texture just is, is mush. Um, but if you can master that, it, it really, I agree. Um, some of my favorite things, sweet potatoes. Um, we love to do, um, butternut squash with a little bit of hot dam in there Yum. just to kind of spice it up. Um, there's some really fun things that you can do and fish on fish over live fire. I mean, that's, that's a favorite. Yeah, so I love that. I mean, while, well, yes, there are some traditional barbecue. I mean, a good portobello mushroom. There's a lot of fun things that you can do. I like to smoke strawberries. That's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, that's so interesting. I've never, he does portobello mushroom for me a lot. And, um, and then a lot of the other vegetables that you mentioned, but, um, now I've, but the romaine salad and the strawberries not. So we're going to definitely have to do, uh, do that because he loves, loves barbecuing. And so, and so does the family. So that's exciting. So thank you. Thank you, Juliet. Hey, Justin, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me up. Great conversation and just loving yeah, hearing all these great tips. And I, I was curious kind of where you're starting to go down already is veggies. I know whenever I go um, you know, to a barbecue and the vegetarian option. Is there anything that's kind of simple, like a kebab that people can do with veggies, but a little bit, I don't know, more exciting that you yeah. could recommend? Because I heard you start to go down that path. Yeah. You know, I, this is something that I had to do myself because I didn't believe it. But if, have you ever used young jackfruit? Is that something that's on your radar? I have, I have not used it, but I've eaten it. I, it just, okay. I don't know how difficult it is to do. No, it's not difficult at all, um, actually. So you buy it in a can. Do not buy the whole big jackfruit. You'll, you'll spend seven hours de-seeding that thing. It is when you can literally buy a can and open it up. But it's critical that you find the young jackfruit because it is a little bit more on the savory side. Once it starts to ripen, it turns to a flavor like a juicy fruit gum. So just as a heads up, that's when you need to turn it into a dessert. But if you can get the young jackfruit and if you have the ability to put a little bit of smoke on it, it's nice, but you don't necessarily have to. It's more 
more about slow roasting it um, over the, the fire, putting it maybe even in a foil pouch if you want to, but you're really just breaking it down with heat. And it then kind of turns into a consistency of like a pulled pork. It really, really, truly does. So then it's how you season it. If you want to add sauce, you want to add some of the seasoning. I did it and I had some ladies here in the neighborhood that like that's now what they ask for me to do for them. Like they're like, can you do a little batch of jackfruit for us? It's it it really picks up the flavors. Like I said, if you can put smoke on it, it'll pick that up. Um, as far as other, my daughter loves when I just get some, you know, like the green onions, you cut off the scallions edge of it um, and throw those on the grill. She'll eat those like, I mean, like they're popcorn. She just loves that. So grilled, those grilled just spring onions or, or green onions is something that is really easy to do. Um, you know, you can do your traditional corn or I like to do even um, get a little cast iron and cut up carrots with just a little bit of maple syrup or even honey um, tossed in kind of towards the end, let those caramelize. That's always a fun vegetable to serve. Um, You can do things even like a banana split on the grill where you literally cook it inside. You just split the banana um, skin open so that, that kind of some steam can come out and and just kind of put it over the heat and maybe put some chocolate so that it just starts to melt. Um, again, it's just some fun ways that you can use the element of heat. And if you have the ability to put a little bit of smoke on it, all you have to do is if you just have a grill or even an, uh, an, a grill that's, that is gas driven, just make sure you've got one side of it that is hot and one side of it that is um, cool. So if you've got coals, push all the coals to one side. If it's a gas burner, you just maybe turn on one or two of the burners and put your food over the indirect side. So put it on the side where there's not going to be heat and put some, um, soak some chips, some wood chips and put them over top, maybe in foil and or a foil pan, um, and then let the heat start to release the oils and smoke coming out of those woods. And that's how you'll pick up some of that wood flavor on meat that's on the indirect side or vegetables. Wow, that was a masterclass in uh, <laughs> veggie barbecue. Just the one thing about it, it's more about the degradation of the um, ingredient more than smoke. If there's not fat right on it, um, that fat smoke likes fat. And so you can get a little bit of smoky flavor on it, but it really, really sticks to fat better just as a heads up. So anyone else can come up on the stage and ask a question. We're here till about seven o'clock, about five more minutes. And I wanted to ask you what the state of barbecue competitions is this summer. Are they coming back? Yeah, they're they're coming back. Yeah, we just got the announcement today that registration is open for the World Series of Barbecue. Obviously, everything has the caveat that it may not happen if if we have a breakout um, again. And, and, you know, they want to health and safety is is first and foremost. Memphis in May is happening this year. Um, We deferred to compete again in 2022 just because we didn't know what the state of everything was going to be and didn't know if we really wanted to travel the country and be around a lot of people Um, just because our kids are, it's important to us. And we just decided to defer that one, but yes, competitions are happening. And the beautiful thing is we're outside. We're not cooking inside. So people are able to space out. So I am really glad to see where my fear in some of this is going to be, um, are the sponsorships going to be there? Are the teams going to be there? It's not necessarily if they can physically have it, but 
what can people withstand? We've all taken pretty big hits and, you know, are the, the people like to win money at these contests? Is there going to be any money to win? So here's a question I ask every one of my guests. What is your all-time favorite cookbook? Oh, you know what? I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, it is the essential New York Times cookbook. Um, it is really from over the centuries, just classic recipes from the New York Times. Um, Amanda Hesser, uh, she, she compiled these recipes. And so I, we're fortunate that Jason's bacon explosion recipe is in that book. It and is? I think that's, that's yes, incredible, right? So that's in there. But then I really got hooked over when we were in COVID and creating our own drinks. I um, discovered an entire cordial pie series in this book where you can, you know, I've learned to cook or I guess make a pie with all kinds of liquors and liqueurs. <laughs> it's been really fun. Um, and the other book is The Food Lover's Companion. And that's not really, that's more of like when you're looking at ingredients and things like that. But if it's true recipes, it's, it's got to be um, Amanda's book. So where can we find you on the web and social media? Yeah, I am at Burnt Finger BBQ. That is our team. If you want me directly in some of the behind the scenes shenanigans, I'm Burnt Finger Megan, M-E-G-A-N. And then BurntFingerBBQ.com. We try to stick with Burnt Finger BBQ for all of our domains. Some call it adventure. You call it life. Thanks, Megan, for coming on Cookery by the Book, Unplugged on Fireside. Thank you so much. And I, I do have one more thing to say. <laughs> Thank you. I am so happy to have people like um, Swissmar and Duluth Trading Company and um, Cook Shack Smokers and Fireboard as people who have supported us so that we can live that lifestyle. So thank you so much for having me on here. And thank you to all of those great people who help us really get to have that lifestyle. Awesome. Well, thank you, Megan. And thanks everyone for listening. If you want to be in the Fireside Studio audience where you can listen to Cookery by the Book unplugged live and ask questions, DM Susie at Cookery by the Book on Instagram or email Susie at CookeryByTheBook.com for a free VIP link.